Great to welcome everyone here today, and if you're here in person at 140 Clark Street, and if you're joining us online on our live stream, good to have you with us also. My name is Mark, I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and we have been going through the book of Acts over the last few months, and we are up to Acts chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you may want to turn to Acts chapter 4. And by the way, the words are going to appear on the screen as well as I read the passage, but it's a really good idea to have um, the words in front of you, whether that's in a Bible, um, whether it's on an app, whether it's uh, you know, on a device or, or some way, because um, it's good for you to check um, what I or anyone else who might be preaching is saying against the passage, just so that you are clear that it's not just some random thoughts that I'm coming up with. Uh, that actually it does come out of the Word of God. I'll be cross-referencing to other passages as well, and you can, you can turn to some of those as well, if you like. The Word of God is countercultural, and we have to wrestle with what it says, and sometimes it's not easy, but we submit ourselves to it so that we are shaped by it. And um, my prayer is this morning that will be the case, that we will all be um, shaped by God's Word and by His Holy Spirit as I speak and preach, uh, hopefully faithfully, his word. All right, it's interesting as we look at the Bible and as we look at through Acts and see how the church begins to grow and spread across the world. And we might think, well, what was the strategy that they used? What was the strategy the early um, apostles employed so that they could see the gospel going out? And we actually, as we read it, we realize, well, maybe you could pick up on a few things, but on the whole... And there's not a lot of strategy going on. What they're doing is really just living godly lives, um, praising God, seeing what God's doing, responding to situations as they come up, and being dependent on the Holy Spirit. And God's at work, and God's at work, and we can be encouraged that that is the same for us today. God will be at work through us just as we live our lives. We've seen in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit came on um, the disciples, and uh, they spilled out onto the streets at Pentecost, and they were praising God and speaking different languages. Everyone's hearing them in their own languages. So a crowd gathered, and Peter used that opportunity to preach the gospel. And many people were saved as he urged them to turn to Jesus, repent, uh, and be baptized. And the church grew, and they were full, filled with the Holy Spirit. The next time we see um, the church growing is at the end of chapter 2, and that's just as a result of the believers devoting themselves to listening to um, the preaching of the apostles and applying it to their lives, um, sharing communion together, praising God, caring for each other, looking after each other, fairly ordinary things, but through those simple things, God caused growth and people to be added to them. And then we come to chapter 3, and we see this lame man who's been sitting at the temple gate for years and years and years, and he's asking, begging for money. Peter and John say, we don't have any money, but we're going to pray that you are healed in Jesus' name. And he is healed, and he rises to his feet and goes walking, leaping, praising God into the temple courts with them. Um, and again, a crowd gather, and Peter preaches the gospel to them. He doesn't hold back from speaking about sin 
the need for repentance. And again, many people who heard him believed. So maybe not such a great evangelistic strategy or program plan. They can be good. They can be good. Um, but very much responding to what God is doing in the moment. I don't suppose Peter and John woke up that morning and thought, you know what, today's plan is to go and heal the guy at the temple gate, and then I better get my message prepared because the crowd's going to gather. I better, you know, make sure I've got my commentaries all looked at, and um, I've got my message all on my iPad, and I'll preach it. Um, I don't suppose that's what happened. It, 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 just, it just happened, and the Holy Spirit guided and inspired. I'm sure Peter knew his scriptures um, and was able to respond in the moment. So it's, it's good for us to know our Bibles. It's good for us to know our scriptures because we've, we can then have that word of God living within us and it comes out in conversations. You know, we, can, we don't even have to say it's scripture sometimes. We can have conversations with people and quote scripture. It's powerful because the word of God has power. So learning memory verses, whether you're at kids club coming and learning memory verses, that's not just so you can play in the next game. That's, that's meant to be helping you in your life that you can apply it and live it out as well. Okay, Peter was dependent entirely on the Holy Spirit. Well, let's have a look what happens in chapter 4. And we'll read from verse 1, um, and we'll go to verse 22. It says this, The priests and captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or in what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he's healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom Jesus raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by, we, by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. Um, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we can't help but speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. All right. So the man has been healed. Many have responded to the gospel. 
Uh, as Peter preached it, many have believed. But the result this time is that Peter and John are seized by the Jewish authorities and they are put in jail overnight. And then the next morning, brought before the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law, that includes the high priest, Caiaphas. This isn't looking good at all for Peter and John because these are the same people who Jesus was brought before just a few weeks earlier before he was crucified and he was obviously hung on the cross. You would think Peter and John at this point would be pretty fearful. You would think they'd be looking for to say anything, to get out of the situation. Um, you know, is there any sort of loophole that they can say, they can kind of fudge it a little and get out of prison. But let's look at what happened instead. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to speak. And as he speaks, he speaks with great boldness and directness. He's not holding back. We read in, you see in verses 8 uh, through 12, you know, he's, he's saying, um, well, you know, Jesus is the one whose name we did this in. And he was the one who you crucified. He was the stone. He starts quoting scripture, but slightly changing the words. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He says, the stone you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's like applying it directly to them. Salvation is not found in anyone else. There's only Jesus' name that we must be saved. He's not holding back. The Holy Spirit has given power and anointing to Peter to speak these words boldly. And he wouldn't be able to do that otherwise. If you remember what he was like just a few weeks before, when Jesus was arrested, he was following at a distance. He went and warmed himself by a fire, and a servant girl came to speak to him and said, oh, you were with him, weren't you? And he's like, no, I wasn't with him. I don't even know the guy. He didn't even have the courage to own up to it in front of a servant girl who couldn't have done anything about it. And now he's standing in front of the high priests and the teachers of the law and everyone like that. And now he's boldly speaking the words of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. He's doubling down on his message. And the religious leaders are astonished. They're astonished at the courage of Jesus, of Peter and John. Because they say, they realize they were unschooled men. They were ordinary people. Yes, they've been with Jesus, but... There was nothing special about them. There was nothing educated about them. Yet Jesus, by his spirit, was with them, powerfully with them. Listen, the truth is, each one of us feel totally weak or inadequate when it comes to serving God, especially when it comes to speaking about him, to saying to other people about Jesus. We feel that weakness. We feel that inadequacy. We feel that fear. We feel that we don't have the answers. We don't have the education. We're probably going to get tongue-tied. We need to realize that actually, that is how God wants us to be. That's what God wants us to be thinking and feeling. Not so that we will shrink away. Not so that we will back off. Not so that we will deny knowing Jesus. So that we will be dependent upon him. So that we will be able to go to him and say, oh God, fill me with your spirit and give me the courage and boldness that I need to be able to do this. We'll see in the next passage um, in future weeks that that's exactly what the believers went back and did. 
They went back and they prayed, God, give us the courage to keep doing this. Because we need courage to keep doing this. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use us in our weakness. To know that, we only need to look at the rest of the Bible. We see it time and time and time again. For example, Gideon in Judges chapter 6. God comes to Gideon and the Midianites are all attacking. They're, they're, they're taken over the land and Gideon is hiding in a wine press and he's threshing wheat. And you're supposed to separate the wheat from the chaff and it, in a wine press it's not going anywhere. It's pretty useless doing that in a wine press. But that's what Gideon's doing. He's fearful, he's hiding away and an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, uh, oh, think you've got the wrong guy. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm your man. And he starts to give the reasons why he's not the guy to help them or to lead the people into defeating the Midianites. He says, look, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. The tribe of Manasseh was, um, sometimes it's called a half-tribe. It, it, it's kind of, it, it's one of those tribes came from Joseph. Um, Joseph had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was the firstborn. They should have, that should have been the one to get the blessing, the one to, that's seen as the most important. And Jacob's like prophesying over these two, and he's like, no, Ephraim's the one who's going to get the blessing. Ephraim's going to be the stronger one. Manasseh, eh, not so keen, not so sure about Manasseh. Manasseh doesn't get that. It's seen as, seen as the weaker tribe. Gideon's like, do you realize I come from Manasseh? And he says, actually, in the tribe of Manasseh, my, um, my, my family is, uh, is, is the weakest one, is the least. And he said, and, the, and in my family, I'm the weakest of those. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, which is the weakest, and I'm the least in my family. Are you calling me a, a mighty warrior? Come on, God, I'm the last guy that you want. And it's true, he was. He was in and of himself. Just, you just have to read the story. He doesn't get any more confident about it at all. God says, okay, I'm sending you. And he comes up with these elaborate things about a fleece. And okay, I'm going to put it on the ground. And if it stays dry and the ground is wet, then I'll know you're with me. Okay, no, you won't. He doesn't. And then he goes, well, let's do it the other way around. Let's reverse it. Could have been a coincidence. If this stays wet and that's dry. He's fearful. He's weak. He's struggling to believe. He's exactly who God wanted to use. And God even reduces his army, doesn't he? Strips them all away. Yeah, you got too many. You got too many. You're going to think you did it in your own strength. 300's enough. 300 against 10,000? What? That's what God wanted to do. Because it's God who wants to be glorified. It's God where the power comes. Not us. Not us. Moses same thing. Moses started off by thinking he was the man. He felt he had all the privilege. He'd been brought up in Egypt. He'd had the education. He got it all. He felt, okay, I'm the man. And he was all bold. He ended up killing an Egyptian. He, he went about it the wrong way. Two Israelites saw it. He ended up fleeing into the desert for 40 years. And he's just there in the desert for 40 years. He's blown it. And then God comes to him in a bush, which is on fire, but it's not on fire. And it's, it's like, what? What's going on here? God speaks to him. Moses, I'm going to send you. You're the one I'm going to send to speak to Pharaoh. 
You're going to speak to Pharaoh. You're going to do all these miracles, and you're going to tell him to let my people go from captivity. And Moses is like, what? I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. And he starts with all the what-ifs. What just read about it in the Bible. He says, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say God doesn't really, didn't really appear to you? Have you ever gone through the what-ifs in your mind? When God wants you to do something? But, but God, what if this happens? God says, I'd like you to invite someone to Alpha. Well, well what, if they, what if they get angry with me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they just think I'm, I'm a religious lunatic? What if my friendship with them goes? What if they go and tell the boss that I'm speaking to them at work and then I get into trouble? What if, what if, what if, what if? And we talk ourselves out of being used by God. We go through the what ifs all the time. God's trying to persuade Moses. God says, okay, I'll show you that I'm with you. Take your staff. He says, throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. He says, oh, pick it up. It becomes a staff again. It's a pretty neat trick. He says, that, that's showing that I'm with you. Moses still isn't convinced. Moses starts saying, oh, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I can't speak very well. Of course he can't speak very well. He's been out in the desert for 40 years. He's only been speaking to his staff. He's like, he's like the guy in, in Castaway with the, speaking to the volleyball. <laughs> like he's, that's all he's got. He's got the sheep. <laughs> I stutter over my words. I can't speak properly. I, send someone else, he says. Send my brother Aaron. God gets angry with him. You think, oh, come on, give him a break. Moses is just being realistic. He's only being realistic. He's not saying anything that's not true. Yeah, he's being realistic about his own ability. He's being realistic about himself. It's good to be realistic about ourselves. He's not being realistic about God. He's not believing God. He's not believing that the power of God's going to work through him. He's not trusting in God. And that lack of faith and that lack of trust in God was what angered God. Many of us shrink back from doing what God has called us to because we feel we can't do it. We don't have it in us. We're not qualified. We're too young. We're too old. We can't speak the language. We, our health is gone. We don't know the culture we, we've got a learning disability. We're fearful. We're too busy. Many, many reasons why we shrink back from what God is saying to do. And we say no to God. And we have to realize when God calls us, he equips us. He strengthens us. He fills us with his spirit. He'll give us the boldness and courage that we need. We don't have that beforehand. We don't have the boldness and courage when we're sitting at home. And then we drum it all up and then now I'm bold, now I'll go. We go and then we say, God, I'm cast on you. <sighs> I need you now. Give me the boldness, give me the courage. I'm going to start speaking and I don't know what I'm going to say, but it's going to be glorifying to God and I don't know what's going to happen. Some of the weak people God uses end up being used powerfully by God. Some of them start to think that, that actually then it's all about them. Some people start off weak and dependent and then they get 
and then they get too full of themselves. And then they think, oh, I can do it. Now I have got the anointing. Now I have got the ability. Saul was one of those people. King Saul. When he was first anointed by Samuel as king, Samuel went to him and then, and then told him. But then publicly, when he was being anointed as the king, the first king of Israel, and everyone's, and they're like, where's Samuel? Where's Saul? Where's, Samuel's like, where's Saul? Where was he? Anyone know where he was? Those who weren't here in the first meeting. <laughs> he was hiding. He was hiding among the baggage, the luggage. <laughs> they're like, Saul, come on. It's your time. You're up. He was fearful. You know, that would be like Joe Biden being inaugurated as the president of the United States and then, and then having everyone there and then saying, so where, where's Joe? Oh, he's in the washrooms. Oh, well, come on, get him out. No, he's locked himself in. He's not coming out. <laughs> what? He's the president. Come on. We could get fearful. I would imagine he did get fearful. Doesn't look good for him, does it? Not Joe Biden, Saul. <laughs> God used Saul powerfully. But over time, Saul became jealous and, of David and arrogant. He stopped depending on God. He eventually offered a sacrifice to God, which Samuel was the only one who could do it. And he just said, oh, we're not going to wait for Samuel. We need to get on with things. He did it himself. God was annoyed with him, angry. He said, that's it. You're not depending on me anymore. You're just doing it in your own strength. So I'm, I'm taking that away from you. I'm anointing David. He's a man after God's own heart. He's trusting in me. He's just... He knows he's dependent on me. Listen, God wants to use you in your weakness. God wants to use you in your weakness. And he wants to keep you in your weakness. He wants to keep you dependent on him. So don't make excuses. Don't say, send someone else. God wants to use you. He wants to use you. Whatever age you are, whatever background you are, he wants to use you. The religious leaders see the courage and boldness of Peter and John. They're amazed. But then the second thing that we see in this passage, and again, in the whole of the Bible, is that when we're used by God, it doesn't mean that things are going to go well for us. Peter and John healed a lame guy. They preached the gospel. Many are saved. And they're arrested. And they're and then they're interrogated. When we live for Jesus, we will be persecuted. And it's important that we're not surprised about that. It's important as well here that we realize that Peter and John aren't arrested and persecuted for healing the lame man. I mean, that's what it seems like they're asking about. Oh, tell us about this healing. In whose name and in by which power did you do this healing? But they're not really interested in the healing at all. I can't imagine anyone's opposed to the lame guy getting healed. You know, he's been lame for 40 years. Why, why would they? They'd surely they'd be like, great, lame guy's healed. Good job. No one else could do it. No one's going no to be against that. Peter knew that. Peter said, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and being asked how he was healed, really? That's what you're asking? I don't think that's what you're asking at all. He knew that wasn't why they'd been arrested. And we read in verse 2 the real reason why they'd been arrested. 
says he had been arrested because the, um, the authorities were greatly disturbed because the, the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The issue isn't the healing. The issue is the teaching. The issue is the proclaiming Jesus is the one who did it and preaching about the resurrection of the dead. It's speaking the gospel. That is what upset the authorities. Christians aren't going to get persecuted for healing people. Christians aren't going to get in trouble for doing good things to people, for feeding the hungry, for caring for people in their communities, for loving the hurting, for volunteering to support and befriend newcomers in our society. All these things and more that Christians do get involved in and should get involved in. But we're not going to get persecuted for those things. We are going to get persecuted when people say, oh, well, in whose name are you doing these things? And we say, in Jesus' name. It's in Jesus' name that we're doing it. And we start to talk about Jesus. That is going to be when the issue comes. Christians will get in trouble when they speak. And some people say, well, you don't have to speak. It's okay. God's with you. People will just see God in you. Just act. Don't have to speak. Some, some people would quote Francis of Assisi, and actually, it's, he never even said this, but people will say, Francis of Assisi said, um, uh, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Well, he never said that. It doesn't say that in the Bible. We're commanded by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them, teaching them everything that I have told you. So we tell people who don't know the good news about Jesus, about how he died for us, how he was punished for our sins. And we talk about his resurrection and his defeat of death and how we can know uh, eternal life as well and how we can know um, the, what, the forgiveness of our sins and all of the things that the gospel tells us. That's what we're to talk about. And when Jesus, when Peter is challenged by this, he doubles down and he, he says to the authorities, do you know what? You crucified Jesus. And by the way, there is no salvation in anyone else. There's no other name in heaven by which we're to be saved. It's you who did it. He's the one, he's the one who was raised from the dead and it's him who you need to put your trust in. That will get us into trouble. It'll get us into trouble today. If we say Jesus is the only way, if we say, oh, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We will get into trouble. It got Christians arrested in the past. History tells us most of the apostles were killed for saying that and preaching that. Many Christians over the centuries have been killed and martyred for saying that. And still are in many countries around the world. In Canada, right now, we probably won't be arrested and killed. We won't. But, but we may be one day. It might not be too far off. My guess is that will come in our some of our lifetimes. And it's certainly the case for many in the world. And we will be persecuted in other ways today. We will be shamed in public. We will be shamed on social media. We will be ridiculed. We'll be silenced. We might lose our jobs. We might miss out on promotion. We will be called racist or homophobic or judgmental 
We'll be told that we're arrogant, that we're narrow-minded. We, how can Jesus be the only way to God? How can Christians have a monopoly on the truth? And we can start to even doubt it in our own minds. We can start to doubt it in our own minds. How can we be certain? That's why we need to know the Word of God. We need to be confident that the Word of God is God's revealed truth to us. Because people will come up with all sorts of clever-sounding arguments. I'll tell you one that I was told. I used to um, be a teacher of religious education in England. And uh, when I was training to be a teacher, the, um, it was mainly Christians on the course, actually. And our, our tutor told us a story, a parable. And he was trying to tell us to think in this sort of way. And it was about an elephant. And uh, there's a picture there of the elephant. And this is the story that he told. And this is a kind of... A parable that goes around. And he said, they were, you know, there were five or six blind men and they were all um, encountering an elephant. So this is a parable about the, the truth about, about the world. He said, they all encountered this elephant. And he said, they all were feeling it and saying what they thought it was. And one guy was feeling the trunk and he felt, oh, well, I think it's a snake. And then someone else was feeling the tusk of the elephant. He said, no, no it's not a snake. It's a spear. Someone else said, no, no, no. He was feeling the leg. He said, I think it's a tree. And someone else, no, I think it's a wall. He's got the body of the elephant. And another one's got the tail. And he's like, I think it's a rope. And he said, everyone's had a different perspective. He said, the only thing is, they didn't have the full picture. If you have the full picture, you understand that it's an elephant. So this tutor was of mine was saying, you know, don't feel that you've got the whole picture. Every different religion has got Every different worldview has got something of the truth in it. What we have to do is we have to put it all together, and then we get the full picture. And people were saying, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds really good. Not realizing that actually there's even an arrogance in that because you're saying all these different religions have only got part of the picture. But me telling you about this parable of the elephant, I've got the full picture, and I'm telling you what it is. It's, it's like, no. We don't arrogantly say we have the answer, but we say we have confidence in the Word of God. And God has the answers. And God has revealed it to us in His Word through the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we know. That's how we can be confident. We mustn't be confident in ourselves, but we must be confident in God and his word. Let's not shrink back from that, because we will be silenced. We will be shamed for what we say. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be what? Is this not on your t-shirts and mugs and Posters, it's not the memory verse you learned at Kids Club last week. Everyone who wants to live a godly life, anyone, will be persecuted. Oh, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. We don't, we don't do any favors by not telling people this, even when they come to Christ. We say, oh, come to Christ. Come to Christ, he'll heal you. He'll free you. He'll give you eternal life. You'll be happy. All those things are true, if happiness is 
the joy of the Lord. All those things are true, but it's not the complete truth. Because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, happy are you when people insult you. Happy are you when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. What? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God tells us we will be persecuted if we want to live a godly life. And we've lost that emphasis in the Western world today because we're not persecuted in the same way as many places. We've grown safe and we've grown comfortable in our freedoms and we've begun to feel that they're rights that the government has to afford us and should afford us. And so instead of counting ourselves blessed and happy and worthy of being counted among others who were persecuted for the, for the name of Jesus, we get angry and we get defensive and we feel people are not giving us our rights. Listen, it's going to happen. People will threaten us. They'll try to stop us speaking. We have to decide who we're going to listen to. Are we going to listen to the people who try and silence us, or are we going to listen to God? The religious leaders commanded Peter and John, don't speak about this name anymore. Do not speak about Jesus. And they said, listen, we can't do anything but that. That's all we can do. And you think, surely these are the authorities. Surely Peter and John have to listen to them. Surely even Jesus encouraged people to obey the authorities at times. Surely Romans 13 says, be subject to the governing authorities. Well, yes, it does. But there are times when the government asks us to do something which is against what God calls us to. And Peter and John, they do submit to the authorities. They say, listen, you know, what's right in God's eyes? They say, you have to be the judge of that. You're the authorities. You judge it. You judge it. Listen, but we, we can't help but do it. We can't help but speak about what we've heard and seen. We don't have any choice about it. Sometimes we might have to make those decisions. I've talked before about a friend of mine from England, Carol, who uh, used to work in a drug rehabilitation center, and a few months after uh, one of the clients had left, she met Carol just out in town on the street uh, and said, um, hey, you know what? You, I know you're a Christian, and I really need to get my life together now. I've got clean of drugs, but I, I really need to get my life together. Can you take me to church? Carol said, of course I can take you to church. Her workplace found out about it, and her workplace said, you don't take her. Don't take her. Don't talk to her anymore. You're breaching client, you know, you're breaching some of our rules. Don't speak to her. Don't take her. And Carol said, she's asked me to go. She, she's told me that that's what she wants to do to get her life sorted out. And they said, if you take her, you're going to lose your job. We will fire you. She had to make a decision. She took her to church. She got fired the next week. She got fired. She didn't even get another job for a year. She was a single parent mother. You think, God, what's that about? That's persecution. That's what it's about. She had to make a decision. She had to make a decision. In Luke chapter 19, 
Jesus and his disciples are approaching Jerusalem and all his disciples are praising God joyfully in loud voices and Pharisees come and they say to Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones are going to cry out in praise to me. They're praising God. Hear me right. As Christians, we have to be respectful of authority. We have to realize authorities have been put there by God and they're subject to him but we have to know where our ultimate authority is. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we will be able to joyfully praise him and proclaim the truth of his gospel. So, let's embrace what God says to us in this passage this morning. This, listen, I know this is not an easy passage to get our heads around. That's why, that's why we have to wrestle with the word of God sometimes. It's been hard. Even this week as I've prepared this, you know, so much of me is like, I don't want to preach this passage. I don't want to preach this. This is what God's word says. God is calling us to live for him and speak for him. He promises to pour his Holy Spirit out on us to give us boldness. And, and we have to go and ask him for it and we have to then trust he's going to give it us in the moment. But he will do it. And he will enable us to speak truth. We will see many saved, but let there be no doubt. There will be persecution, and we need courage to embrace that and strength. And, and so much of us in our flesh wants to flee from that. But Jesus says, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. But your reward's in heaven. Let's keep loving God. Let's keep loving each other. Let's keep loving the world by proclaiming, by demonstrating it, and by proclaiming it. All right, why don't we stand together? I'm going to invite Angela back. We're going to just pray before Angela leads us in one final song. So let's stand. Father God, I thank you for your word, Lord. We stand on that. Lord, I, I confess that I have got no authority in and of myself to speak any of my thoughts. They're, they're useless. They're useless. I want to proclaim your word. I pray anything that I've said this morning which is unhelpful and unscriptural, Lord, you will take that away. You won't cause that to be a stumbling block for people. But Lord, the words that you have used this morning and that you're wanting to speak to us, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and just seal them in our hearts. Give us courage. Give us confidence in you. Lord God, where we're fearful, and each one of us is fearful, no one wants to go and step out from our wine press. <laughs> None of us do. None of us do. But Lord, you call us, and we want to put our trust in you. I want to pray, Spirit of God, speak to each one of us. Remind us of what you have called us to, and give us that courage that we need. I pray, fill us with your Spirit, even now. Even now, Lord God, let us not just come up with excuses like Gideon or Moses did. Let us not hide away like Saul did. Lord, let us boldly come, not in our own strength, but in your strength. And live and work and speak for your praise and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.